0: This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Letendry.
1: And I'm Anthony Johnston, and today we are listening to the epic 1996 album from Neurosis Through Silver in Blood.
0: Now, you said epic, but would you also call this album seminal? (laughs)
1: <laughs> very very seminal uh extremely seminal in fact uh, if you were to ask me how much more seminal could it be the answer would be none none more seminal
0: really it's already <laughs> at 11 in terms yeah. of its seminal yeah. <laughs> dial you've dialed it up to 11 already well, it, all right it well. really
1: is because it kind of it's no exaggeration to say that this album basically created post-metal if you listen to post-metal You know, you owe Neurosis a debt, uh, and you may not even be aware of it because they are one of those bands that fly under so many people's radar. Um, That's one of the reasons why I wanted to put them on the show. But also, for anybody who's listened to the album will know, kind of why I left them to last as well, because this is not an easy album to listen to.
0: I mean, I have a (laughs) lot of thoughts about that, which we will uh, certainly talk about as we go in. But I was one of those people, certainly, that uh, this band flew under the radar they were a name that i've seen obviously if you're in you know following the metal scene you'll see their name and i've seen them on on you know tours and stuff like that but didn't know their music and also as we're going through this podcast like post metal is not even a thing that i really thought about you know in terms of like my musical tastes and what i listen to and what i gravitate toward and so this has definitely been an education for me um and this album. I would say, of all of the albums that we've listened to on this show, this may have been the most challenging to initially get into.
1: Oh, that I can absolutely believe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I actually like because it put, it made me put my money where my mouth was in terms of my ability to find a way into in an album. Right. And so I liked that. And so as I kept listening to it, like I liked the fact that it was challenging to me of like find find your way into this album and and I think I did. So I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Well, that's kind of if you remember I've said before, that's kind of how I felt about the uh, Twisted Sister Yep. Episode, you know, it was the same sort of that was challenging for me to listen to at first because it is not my thing at all. But sure, but I came to—I wouldn't say I came to love the album, but I really came to appreciate it. And certain songs on it, I did come to really enjoy and appreciate so yeah you know i can i'm down with that so (laughs) before we how do you do fellow kids right before we uh get to the album then let's have a little bit of follow-up first we have uh one new patron since our last episode somebody called wolverine
0: finally logan has joined the group i
1: right i don't you know hello from canada um so hello thank you very much um since the last episode, we also, since the last regular episode, we also put out our first Backstage Pass episode with listener CJ Lines talking about uh, the album Slaughter of the Soul by At the Gates and why he loves it and uh, about his history with metal. If you missed that one, Go to thrashedoutpodcast.com, uh and obviously it's there. But you can also just check your podcast play because it, it's we're publishing these these new bonus episodes that we're going to do, like backstage pass and the encore episodes. They are regular episodes. They will show up in your regular feed. There's no yep. separate feed for them. So uh I got you know, some you...
0: feedback on that too from our Facebook page.
1: Yeah, we did, yeah, yeah. So but just so if you if you think you've missed it, just go in back and look in your feed and you will find it there. And it was it was fun. It was a good episode. I enjoyed doing it.
0: I did too. Another band that I had very little awareness of in terms of their sound and their music and really ended up enjoying it. so much so that when they just put out their new single of their upcoming album I was like I'm getting that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you know it, as with the rest of the episodes that we do and as with everything on the Facebook group with lots of people posting new music all the time as we've said Many times before, this is one of the best things about doing this: is being exposed to new music, both for us and for listeners. Um, because there's there's so much of it, you can't possibly be expected to know all of it, and so being exposed to it by people who love it—I mean, that—I think that's important. I, if I, if somebody's going to encourage me to get into a band, I want to know why they love it because that gives me context for how I should then listen to it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. And to go back to what we just talked about, you know, briefly with neurosis like that, that is why I try to approach everything that we talk about very respectfully from a a standpoint of like, if you're going to recommend an album to me and say like, I, you should listen to this because I love it. And here's why I love it. Like I deserve, you know, that album then deserves my respect in, in, my approach to listening to it, and so that's sure. what one of the things that I love about the show, because I feel like our community that we have here also takes that approach, you know, and so when people you know uh, recommend something, everybody gives it a fair shake and what was cool about this episode, just looking at the feedback on the Facebook page, is there was sort of an equal mix of people who were like, "Oh yeah, that's a totally classic album. I'm glad you brought it out, so I could go and revisit it and listen to it." And also people like me who were like, nope, never listened to them before. This was pretty awesome. Like Kenneth uh, Kenneth said, what an album, first two tracks alone are about as good as it gets. Uh, Brian said, this is a great idea. I'm excited to listen. Uh, let's see. David said, uh, I think he said, yeah, this is the only At The Gates album that I own and it's really good. Um Andy said, excellent job, CJ. I'm not at all familiar with the record, but I'll have to give it a few spins. And when he did, I believe he really dug it. And so it was kind of a healthy mix of people who had heard of them and, and not heard of them. And everybody seemed to dig it. And everybody seems to like this format of the backstage pass and having somebody on to talk about an album that they love. I just think it's a natural extension of what we do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it helps, I mean, it, you know, it helps keep the show fresh, but also, yeah, it's just, again, more new music and more new music is, you know, if you're listening to this show, you're probably a massive music fan and therefore you like discovering new music. And so what better way to do that than to go to people who aren't us? Because as we've said before, that's why we do the listener poll, uh, selections, uh, you know, every volume, because people are going to suggest stuff that you or I simply would not come
0: up with 1000% like you would this album would have never even come up in the discussion and now I'm psyched that I because now I have another band that I can look forward to their new music
1: (laughs) right (laughs) Um, also following up from the uh, last episode well actually (laughs) following up from the last episode which was also following up from the episode before uh, the ongoing debate about which song is the earliest example of a clean slash distorted metal song, where you have the clean verse and then the distorted, electrified uh-huh. chorus. Uh, Colton Schwartzler, I hope you've pronounced your name right, on the Facebook group, uh, pointed out that on 19, Judas Priest's 1978 album, Stained Class, there's a track called Beyond the Realms of Death, yep. um, which I, I'm i not sure I'd ever heard before, so I went and listened to it. It didn't sound that familiar. And it's it's practically a proto fade to black. I mean... You know, like I say, I'd never heard it, but at the moment I heard it, I was like, oh, oh, okay. So the Metallica guys have clearly fans of this album because it's quite extraordinary. You listen to it with Fade to Black in mind. You're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's quite a heavy influence. Um, And yeah, 1978 is definitely the earliest track that anybody has mentioned so far that I think qualifies as a genuine metal track, you know, within this class. So that's our current record holder as it were. If anybody can come up with anything that was released earlier than that, let us know. But I think I think you'll struggle because, you know, 1978, that's pretty damn early.
0: Well, and I will just say, and, and that's a great segue into Judas Priest, Anthony, uh, that my favorite Judas Priest album from back the one I gravitate to of their early albums is uh Sad Wings of Destiny. That's mm-hmm. the always the one that I revisit. And having just seen Judas Priest for the first time in my metal loving career, on Thursday night they played the Ripper off of uh, Sad Wings of Destiny, which is one of my all time favorite Judas Priest songs. And so, um, man, that that concert was just amazing. I, I'm sure people saw the pictures I posted. But Glenn Tipton, who recently you know came out and said he's he's been dealing with Parkinson's for the past ten years and would not be able to tour with Judas Priest this time around, uh, came out for the encore and played three songs with the band and Andy Sneap who produced the record, but is a very accomplished guitar player in his own right is filling in for Tipton on guitar for this tour. And he did an amazing job and was just spot on with everything they asked him to do. And also like, so like humble and gracious when Tipton came out, he just sort of faded into the back of the stage and played rhythm guitar while Tipton came out and, and played and just, you could tell that he was totally into it as well and uh man Richie Faulkner who is their sort of lead guitar player now in Judas Priest that guy is a freaking beast and i'm just amazed at how well he not only captures the Judas Priest sound both on Redeemer of Souls and on their new album but also has incorporated his own style into Judas Priest like he's just man what a what a transition but continuing to keep that Judas Priest sound that everybody wants. Cause the new album, like to me is like the most Judas Priesty Judas Priest album in a <laughs> long time. Like it, it pulls from all eras of their, of their catalog and just sounds as vital and aggressive as anything they've ever done, but also keeps that classic sound. Like, it, I I put on the page like it's my album of the year for sure. Uh, good luck to any other album knocking the Judas Priest album wow, off of that in pedestal. March? Wow. Yeah. And I thought Saxon like set a bar high and I was I knew Priest's album was gonna be good. I wasn't worried about that, but I did not know how much I would absolutely adore this album. And every time I listen to it, it's giving me something new. Um it's just uh it's just fantastic
1: was Halford in good voice at the gig.
0: You know what? He is freaking amazing. I'll tell you. I I, I I'm so excited for people who A and I, heard, I I'm at the urinal in the freaking concert venue talking to two dudes cuz I hear them say, I don't know who the Saxon is, but you know, I'll uh you know, I think they're a hair metal band or something like that and I'm at the what? urinal saying, so I'm at the urinal in the bathroom and I'm like, "Did you just <laughs> Are you talking about I'm like, no. I said, pr- prepare to be blown away by Saxon. Um, and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. If you came here just to see Priest, boy, are you getting... First of all, Black Star Riders, which is basically Thin Lizzy, is opening, right? So you've got them opening the entire show. Then you have freaking Saxon come out. And as expected, you know. and this was my third time seeing Saxon live, I saw them in front of 200 people. I saw them in front of a packed... Club, and now I've seen them in an arena setting, and they bring the just 110% energy to every show, and Biff sounds freaking amazing. So they set the stage by not only rewarding their longtime fans, but completely blowing away people who had never seen them before, as I expected they would, and that's exactly what they did. And then Judas Priest comes out, and Halford sounded spot on amazing. Sneep does an amazing job of playing every Tipton solo every Faulkner took a lot of both KKs and Tipton solos and, and played a lot of them but the solos that Andy Sneep played he absolutely nailed mm-hmm. they played um I was talking to someone and they said this is probably one of the best set lists they've seen them play like since the 80s they they brought out songs from a majority of their albums and they were all songs that you wanted. There was no clunkers in this entire set. Like they just killed it. And I think they played four songs off the new album. All of those songs sounded amazing live, which just cemented for me how good this album is. Like these are songs that are now going to be in the rotation for Judas Priest when they go and play live and they just killed it. And then at the end of the show, they bring out Glenn Tipton and the crowd just absolutely loses their mind. And, and uh, it was just fantastic. It was everything that I hoped that it would be and more. And it was so great to see them. And I had my son with me. So now right. that was sort of the capper of the last two years of me trying to bring him to as many legendary shows as I possibly could. And so yeah. now he's seen Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth, Queen's Reich, you know, um, Metal Church, Suicidal Tendencies, Judas Priest, Saxon, like he has maiden, he's seen everybody. Uh, At this point, except for Ozzy, like that's, that's like the only one that he hasn't seen over the past couple of years of like bands that I really wanted him to see before they're not around anymore. So it was, it was great, man. Great stuff.
1: Talking about uh, Andy Snape. The reason he's so good is because he started out as a guitarist. Oh yeah! Before he became a producer, I mean that's I think that's one of the reasons he is such a good producer. Is he? I agree. Was originally a guitarist and songwriter. He was guitarist, the original guitarist with Sabbath. That yep. uh, you know Martin Welkier's band that I've mentioned before that got me into thrash metal. So uh, yeah, it's no surprise to me that he is, you know, very capable of filling in uh, for Glenn
0: Tipton. He honestly just looked to me like he was just soaking it all, it, like just the the reaction from the crowd. Oh, I'm sure he's a huge Priest fact, fan. I you know? mean, the fact yeah. that he's playing these iconic songs from their entire catalog, and like he just he was smiling the entire time that he was playing. <laughs> it, it reminded me a lot of when I saw Gary Holt for the first time play with right. Slayer. Yeah, yeah, where you could just tell, like, here's a dude who is loving every single second of stepping into this role and and i would say the same i hadn't obviously this is my first time seeing priest but i hadn't seen richie faulkner perform live and same thing like richie faulkner has completely accepted the mantle of making sure that the sound of judas priest carries on and uh, to anybody that doubts you know his ability to do that or or them taking a step down as a band with with tipton and downing you know not being in those prominent roles anymore like first of all, Tipton played guitar on this album, so and you can hear this is his. There was some doubt, like did Andy Sneap fill in for him on guitar, or did Richie Faulkner? No. When you listen to the album, you will clearly hear Glenn Tipton's guitar playing on this album. Um, but Richie Faulkner, man, just just an absolute beast, and just it was just awesome. So if you get a chance to see them on this tour, I mean, Saxon and Judas Priest together it's just it's just crazy to even think that those two bands are touring cuz they talked about when uh, Saxon played their Motorhead tribute uh they played Rock and Roll which is a song off the new album yep. how they all toured together back in the 70s and now ah, here they right. are in 2018 and wow. you're seeing Saxon and Judas Priest and the thing that i said as soon as Saxon was done with their set this time is here here are these guys i think Byford is 66 maybe 67 now Halford is what 70 um, or it, 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 he's right around 70 at this point in time to have these two guys out there putting bands that are 20 to 30 years, their junior, just to absolute embarrassing shame in terms of live performances. <laughs> just think about that. I mean, these guys are just out there delivering a live experience that you would hope for as a fan. When you, we go out and see bands all the time that are just not even a, they don't even hold a candle to their you know records when it comes to their live performance. And here these guys are just absolutely killing it. Yeah. At uh, that
1: you've, age. you've done Halford a bit of a disservice. He's only sixty six.
0: Sixty six. Okay, so maybe Byford is a year older than him. Then he is. Byford um, is sixty seven. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they're just immortal. Like you that know, is, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Which is why so collecting you know, their
1: pensions, you know.
0: <laughs> right. Or 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 they're coming out. You know. And I'm, I'm certainly won't name names of singers, but or they're coming out and singing, you know, 15 registers lower on the songs, and, and right, basically yeah. speaking their vocals now instead of singing them. And I would say for 98 percent of those songs, Rob Halford was nailing it. I mean, you could tell he has to hunch over a little bit more to to you know nail some of those notes now, but he's still making his way around the stage the entire show. He's still playing it up to the crowd, and he is still delivering those songs as you expect to hear them, which is just yeah, unbelievable.
1: All right. A couple of other bits of news. Um, listener and contributor to the Thrash It Out theme song, Don Cardenas, uh, has, he's also a comic artist, which some people may not know. Um, and he has a new graphic novel out called Packs of the Low Country. And I mention it here because he has recorded a soundtrack to he go has? with it um, inspired partly by, uh, the Wasteland soundtrack that I did, which was, uh, very flattering to know. Uh, and I've listened to it and it's pretty good. It's very atmospheric. Uh, there's bits of metal here and there, you know, it's not like a full on 100% metal thing, but, uh, I think most of our listeners might enjoy it. So, uh, if you're on the Facebook group, he's posted a link to it there, or you can just go to Don Cardenas, which is spelled as you imagine, Dot bandcamp.com uh, and that will take you to the uh, to the album page. And yeah, it's it's pretty good. Well done, Don. he
0: He actually posted I believe in that thread five codes to give away a complimentary version of oh, that that's right. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that they've all been redeemed yet, so as you listen to this you can go back and check that. I will be purchased, and he sent me a copy because he's a super nice guy. I will be purchasing a copy of that off of Bandcamp and gifting it to one of our Patreon subscribers. So oh. we, will, we will randomly pull a Patreon subscriber and I will be, um, because I'm assuming we have your email, I will be emailing you a copy of that soundtrack. So look out for that soon, uh, one of our supporters.
1: Cool. Okay. Well, we'd better do that. Um, uh, you better, <laughs> better do that as soon as this show ends then so that I can do it, uh, so that we can, you know, figure out which listener before the show goes live. <laughs> Cause we don't want somebody to buy it
0: twice. Absolutely.
1: Uh, and the other thing was I have a new Silencion album coming, not ready yet, not quite ready yet, but, uh, I have been working on it for a while, uh, in my spare time and, uh, there will be a new album coming within the next few weeks um
0: what is the shade of this album compared to the other ones because the last one has been one of my horror writing soundtracks now
1: yeah you said ble- bless you time. it's yep. uh I am still quite yeah I do like there's, there's things I've, I've played you know when I play it back there's things I'd maybe change about that one but I am pretty happy with Entires yeah um uh, no, this one is going to be different. This is not going to be a sort of uh, a horror movie, dark ambient style album. Uh, it is still going to be recognizably Silencion, but in uh, a different way. And I don't want to say any more than that until it comes out. We'll talk about it on the next episode, maybe. Awesome. Uh, and uh, tell us what's been happening over on uh, the Power Chords podcast.
0: Man, lots of stuff. Uh, we are about to embark on many interviews that you will hear that Matt has recorded. He has been doing yeoman's work. I've been actually traveling for work a lot, so I've been out of town quite a bit. We've still been recording shows, but we have a backlog of interviews. We put up a uh, the part one of a Robin Macaulay interview, who you might remember from uh, Macaulay Shanker, and the second part of that is going to be coming up soon. He just interviewed George Lynch. Um, he went and saw Lynch Mob in uh, Connecticut, so a George Lynch interview will be coming up soon. Um, tons of intervie- interviews that we have a backlog of. So those are coming up. If you want to hear me blather on about Judas Priest in our next uh, podcast, which <laughs> we'll be recording this week, uh, Matt and I will be talking about uh, the concert a little bit more. And also I will be reviewing Firepower. So, um, And someone had posted here on our group, when is there going to be a painkiller episode of Thrash It Out? And then like three people right. went and like... <laughs> Oh, scroll back <laughs> yeah. to the first episode of this uh volume and you'll and you'll hear that. So yeah, more Judas Priest talk coming up um and lots of good stuff. We just have a lot of interviews that we're we're doing now. Uh Matt has done a lot of the heavy lifting on those interviews to begin with, but it seems like we're we're starting to much like with the old Secret Identity podcast which was comics focused, we're making sort of uh we're starting to network with a lot of different record companies and in uh, indie bands and stuff like that. So I would anticipate that much like with Secret Identity, it's going to be that news reviews and interviews show that which was the template that we started out sure. with, but the interviews are starting to really come in now. So we've got some some pretty cool stuff planned for that. And some of the companies now are sending us stuff to to be able to play on the air. So like Frontiers oh, Music has been really good to us. They've been sending us a lot of new stuff. So Um, again, for those who might not know about that podcast, basically we dabble in 80s sort of hair metal stuff here once in a while. Um, We just talked about Twisted Sister a little while ago, but in general, that's what that podcast is like 95% about. It's about 70s and 80s rock and metal. And so if you want more hair metal stuff like that's, we don't take as deep a dive as we do on this show, but we we hit a lot of those. um, You know, we've talked about trickster and we've talked about uh we're going to be talking about danger danger pretty soon and so if you if you like those 80s hair metal <laughs> band, we talked about skid row recently so if you like that kind of stuff that's that's what we hit on there and it's it's coming along well
1: awesome awesome uh also yeah that's just reminded me i mentioned in the last episode i talked about uh ursula Le Guin and how i'd been rereading the wizard of earthsea and i just uh, recorded, and it just went live uh, recently, an episode of The Incomparable, uh, the, one of their book club episodes, talking with a few other panellists about Ursula Le Guin's work, a Wizard of, specifically A Wizard of Earthsea and The Left Hand of Darkness, which was her uh, very, very influential feminist science fiction novel. Um, from the same, like, a year after A Wizard of Earthsea, within the space of two years, she wrote two absolutely groundbreaking and genre defining works like goddamn um so if you want to hear me talk about nothing to do with music obviously but you know talk about fantasy and sci-fi and leguin's work then go over to the incomparable.com and look for uh, its episode 398
0: 398 I know <laughs> dude that's crazy that's awesome
1: it's uh episode 398 titled apart from all the skiing uh, and if, you, if you've if le- you read The Left Hand of Darkness, you'll know exactly what that's referring to. Uh, but it was a really good discussion, a uh, really good show. So yeah, go over and, uh, and grab that and listen to it.
0: You just reminded me that Evan had posted on our Facebook group about another podcast called Dreamland from the Retro Blasting oh, yeah, Crew. Yeah. Uh, Melinda Mock is the primary host of that show, and they did an episode on Operation Mindcrime in which they, dropped, they name-dropped Thrash It Out. So we certainly... Uh, and Melinda, I believe, has has come over to the Thrash It Out group as well. So shout out to them. Shout out to Evan for sharing that podcast. I actually started listening to it from the beginning now because the there was, uh, I think the first episode was about Cabbage Patch Kids. Basically and just so, because you're
1: an 80s obsessive. Oh my God. So like it was, it was
0: completely <laughs> so right in my wheelhouse. So yeah, you can go and check that out. Uh, if you go to retroblasting.com, you can find the Dreamland podcast and you can check that out. And they- they do seasons like we do volumes and so yeah. you can check out uh you will absolutely find topics that are in your wheelhouse if you're a fan of the 80s and there is that episode about Operation Mindcrime which is super cool so thanks for sharing that
1: yeah i mean that show might as well be called Brian we have made a podcast just for you.com i right? know
0: i love it it's like it's like when i find an album here that somebody recommends and i'm like holy crap that's right in my wheelhouse it was like yeah oh yes i think i will have more of this podcast so
1: <laughs> um all right so uh before we get on to uh talking about neurosis uh let's just run through the usual reminders to people that uh you can of course um support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thrash it out you can talk to us on facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out or you can go to thrash it uh, where you've got links to email us or contact myself and brian on twitter we love hearing from you uh, we love the community on facebook you know, get get involved, get active, uh, share your your love of metal, um, and uh, everybody will have a really good time. Yep. You mentioned being out of town, which is uh, why actually, just for once, it's not me that's. No, uh, it was re- totally my fault. That's the reason this episode has taken a while to record. Uh, but on the other hand, on the bright side, going back to what you said earlier, it has given you and I'm sure most of our listeners a lot of time to listen to this Neurosis album and you know it probably needed it because if you're not into this band already if you encounter this band for the first time it is a bit of a shock you know if you're not into post-metal and you hear this band any of their albums frankly but especially this one it is a bit uns sort of not unsettling well maybe it is unsettling but it is certainly it kind of throws you off kilter but you're like what did I just listen to there
0: Um, Well, and I'll use the example of you mentioned Twisted Sister before being sort of a similar approach for you of like not hitting you at first, but you working to sort of get into it and then finding sort of a common ground with the album, right? The thing about Twisted Sister is if one of those songs doesn't grab you, it's over in three and a half minutes, right? So it doesn't, you know, you can move on to the (laughs) the next song (laughs) and uh, you have another chance to find a hook into the album. Uh, When an album hits you in the face with a sort of 12 minute epic out of the front gate,
1: Right. And that's not an unusual track length either. Right. No, no, no,
0: certainly not on this album. And so like, yeah, like there were barriers to me to, to entry just in terms of the length of many of the songs, the length of the album overall. The, the type of metal that it is, which is not, you know, m- in my wheelhouse in the way that some of the other stuff. Well, it's not, not
1: based around, you know, traditional song structure. It's not based around hooks. It's not based around catchy riffs or choruses. Not based around melody. Right. Yeah, absolutely not based around melody. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, th- which is why it's post-metal, because it, is, it eschews all of those things to create instead this sound, this pummeling sound that, yep. you know, became post-metal.
0: To me, it's mood versus melody, right? And I think that's where right, I found yeah. a way into – that's where I found my common ground with this album, is that when I when I just kind of washed it out of my mind that I was going to look for a melodic hook to – or a structure hook to sort of get me into this album, and I just embraced the mood of it. And yep. was like, okay, if I just listen to it through that lens – now what do I think and that was my doorway into this album and so um
1: I think that's yeah. not a that's not a bad way to get into it yeah I mean that's not dissimilar to how I got into them so uh just run down a quick a few quick facts for people who may not have read up on the band uh there are five members Scott Kelly and Steve von till uh, are both guitars and vocals Dave Edwards Edwardson is bass and also vocals uh Jason Roder on the drums and Noah Landis does keyboards and samples and they have had that lineup since the year before this album was released Noah Landis Joined them in '95, replacing their original keyboard player, and they have had that same lineup ever since. Which is kind of remarkable in this day and age for a lineup to stay that stable for that yeah. long. Because they are still together, they are still touring, still recording music. Um, that said, and also Noah Landis's arrival kind of cemented their sound as well. Which, uh, and you can tell that if you if you listen to their earlier albums, they started out as a hardcore band, a hardcore punk band.
0: It's funny you should mention that because I went back and listened to some of their hardcore oh, did you? punk band roots. And I would say that I am a fan of Neurosis, the hardcore punk band.
1: Yeah, right. It, it was good stuff. Yeah, it was really good stuff. It was great stuff. stuff. Uh, yeah.
0: Pain of Mind is the one I would recommend. That I'll was their debut, you, yeah. Yeah. And there, you can certainly find cuts off of that on YouTube. And it, they are a hardcore punk band and they absolutely fit. Early suicidal tendencies, like they're right there. Yeah, um, D R I. Like you'll you'll immediately hear it, and it and it's funny because I started listening to that, and then I went down the rabbit hole. One of my uh, favorite hardcore albums from way back in the day was Underdogs, The Vanishing Point, and I would have recommended it for an episode on the show, but it is very difficult to find now, and you can only get it in like you know twenty five dollars. You could basically buy it off of people, but like even right, if you go to right. Amazon, there it's someone reselling their copy of the album. But yeah, so it. It sort of sent me down the rabbit hole, but their early stuff I thought was great, and it is so monumentally different oh, yeah. from what you hear on this album.
1: Well, they started, they yeah, as I say, formed in 85, and then after a few years, basically after, well, even after their first album, their, their second album, they already started experimenting a bit, but then it was in uh, 92 that they really started becoming much more experimental. They released an album called Souls at Zero. So that was when they really that was the first album that kind of hinted at what they would become. You know, the first one with the really long songs and the sort of drone structures and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and that happened after Steve Von Till replaced their original second guitarist. Like I say, they'd already been experimenting, but his arrival clearly, you know, helped them shift to in this particular direction. And then, yeah, in 95, No Landis. Arrived to replace their original keyboard player, and suddenly the sound just expanded and became massive. You know the the number of samples on this record. There's, I read something somewhere that there are allegedly up to sixteen layers of sample and keyboard sounds at any one time on this record. Uh, it is just, it is a soundscape. The whole thing it is, is just
0: absolutely a, a soundscape.
1: Yeah. Um, so. They'd been if you listen to the albums before this, as I say, you can see the progression. They'd been building up to it. And they've continued refining the sound ever since. But the reason that I chose this album was because, you know, as I've said, the theme my theme for this volume has been albums that change metal. And this is the album that it was their first on relapse records, so it had much greater distribution and awareness than their previous records. And it was the first one that had that really thick, amazing sound that just kind of blew people away. You, nobody had ever heard anything quite like it before. Do you remember when um, Ministries, Psalm 69, came yes. out? And that had the same effect, didn't it? It was the same sort of, everybody was just like, I've never heard anything that sounds like this before.
0: That Uh, album was played like on repeat, uh, (laughs) in my college dorm back in, what year did that come out?
1: That was 91, I think, or maybe even earlier.
0: Um, yeah, it was definitely one of my roommates in college was like, that's where I really got exposed to that album was they would play that all the time. Right. Um,
1: and this had the same kind of, same effect in the, as I say, it was just nobody had heard anything like it before, especially not, you know, widespread. And it was so influential. It influenced so many bands that have come since. And you can hear it in a lot of post-metal bands. And, it, and they will all happily tell you you know uh, every post metal band you will ever meet will tell you how much they love neurosis it's uh <laughs> it's kind of like a thrash metal band not loving metallica it's just it doesn't happen
0: <laughs> rolling stone ranked this as number 49 in a list last year of their best 100 metal albums of all time
1: i can believe that yeah i mean i'd put it even higher but yeah i can believe that it's uh and yet as i say the band themselves as a whole kind of fly under the radar a lot. You know, they've never... I mean, obviously, this is not a commercial <laughs> style of music. Yeah, I don't
0: remember hearing this one on the radio. <laughs> yeah. And, and it cuts off of this one.
1: <laughs> but even within the sort of hardcore, you know, metal community, as you say, people have heard of them, but not necessarily heard their music or know exactly what they sound like. Um, I got into them relatively late. I mean, talking about sort of, yeah, the the hearing of them, but not hearing their music and the, the initial difficulty when you do first listen to them. I got into them around sort of 2007, 2008, uh, which is obviously, you know, much later than, you know, so they started making this sort of music, uh, an album called Given to the Rising had just been released, uh, which was, I think that was 2007. And I remember, I remember reading somebody, rave about it, but I can't, I cannot for the life of me remember who it was or where. I can't even remember if it was like a a proper review or if it was just, you know, a friend on Facebook. (laughs) But what I do remember them saying is, uh, they, they called them something like the original doom metal band, uh, which I mean, isn't really true, but that was enough to make me think, okay, well, this sounds like somebody that I should listen to then. So surely Um,
0: I would say doom in terms of sort of beckoning the apocalypse, Doom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the kind of how I think about their approach.
1: Yeah, no, they absolutely are, yeah. Uh, and so I went and listened first to Given to the Rising. That was the first album of theirs that I found, because it was the most recent one. And it did take me a while to get into it. Um, I mean, you know, I love long, slow songs. We've talked about that before. But I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't yet really into the, uh, the, the repetitive, the droning style of metal. Uh and at first when I listened to it I I thought well this is pretty cool but I you know I think I'm probably going to struggle to get a handle on this because the songs are so long and so repetitive and so cyclical that it's kind of hard to you know get a grip on them. Um and then two things happened. First I read an interview with Scott Kelly where he defended those aspects of the songs and of their songwriting and said look this is why it takes us so long, why we go so long between albums, um, why it takes us so long to write an album because we, we build and refine and craft these songs and these passages with great precision. You know, we're crafting these epic soundscapes. We're not just randomly throwing things together and going, Oh, let's repeat that a dozen times. And this one, half a dozen, you know, he's, he was emphasizing how much care they take. Um, and and again, that's not necessarily obvious on first listen. But the second thing <laughs> of all the weird things was, um, I at the time was flying back and forth to the states quite a bit, and I started using them to help me sleep on flights. <laughs> oh yeah, I've
0: fallen asleep to this album several yeah. times. It's,
1: yeah. um, it's. I often put uh, ambient playlists on shuffle when i'm flying to help me sleep on the flight but i decided to try using some of this as well because by then i would collected a few more albums and the later stuff like uh the the given to the rising and the eye of every storm especially have a lot more of the the quieter passages mixed in with the metal drone stuff and it, it really worked uh i it really helped me get to sleep ironically probably because i wasn't yet fully into it so it kind of washed over me the trouble is that now because i know the songs so well (laughs) it's actually more difficult for me to fall asleep to them um but that i i don't know why exactly but that gave me a new appreciation for them those two things combined i thought okay this is i should clearly pay more attention to these and not treat them like background ambient albums but actually listen to them as you know, well-constructed pieces of music. Um, And that was what really helped me get into them when I started actually focusing on them, even though it's repetitive, even though you might get the same riff, you know, 24 times, and it will take three minutes to do it, it. Focusing on it like that and giving it my full attention actually really helped me get into it. And now, of course, you know, like so many Uh, fans getting into this band really set me off down the post-metal path. And now, as you know, I love that stuff. Uh, I love post-metal and drone metal and the the sludgy, repetitive stuff. And because the Neurosis guys run their own record label, uh, which publishes loads of, releases loads of stuff by other post-metal bands, I am now regularly exposed to new post-metal that, by and large, is all pretty damn good because, you know, those guys wouldn't put it out otherwise.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you talk about the crafting piece, that makes perfect sense to me. Because I think with songs that are this long and that repeat phrases over and over and over again, like it it helps me almost take a writer's approach to listening to it where you start to examine the choices that they made. Like, oh, okay, well, it's interesting that they did this right here or that at this particular time in the song, they went in this particular direction. And to me, that's always interesting to listen. And it's harder to do that with shorter songs that are more structured, you know, but here, I think you start, the more you listen to it, the the way you start to see those choices and think about like, Oh, well, that's interesting that they sort of went in this direction. And for me, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And I was like, Oh, I wish they would have not done that, took out this one minute here and just connected it to this piece here. And so I, I like that idea of them crafting it, Because they're making very deliberate choices, and it's kind of cool to to sort of um, think about that. And I did try to go back and look at interviews with the band in order to get a view into that decision-making process. I found an interview from 1996 uh, done by Chronicles of Chaos, and it was an interview with the bassist Dave Edwardson, and... One of the questions was, What ideas and strategies went into the process of setting apart through Silver and Blood from your other works? And he said the process was a lot more natural and what was in was something that we had started to experience on the last record. We didn't have to be more cerebral, we could actually be more gut with the way it came together and trusting the engineer we were working with. It says the band recorded with uh, producer Billy Anderson, yep. who had worked with Sick of It All, The Melvins, I Hate God. And um, he said, we basically knew what we were going for. I would say that this record is more of an epic undertaking than the last one. We know how to get a lot more out of one note these days, and we are a lot more trance-oriented in our music as far as wanting it to be overwhelming and aggressive, but a constant flow. We were trying to develop a record that was like one song that actually means more from the beginning to the end than it does individually. Um, they went on to ask him, you know, what's the most important thing that you want a neurosis fan to get out of this record? And he said, for people to be inspired by it, maybe with the emotions we reveal, people can relate to it and get through, you know, whatever they're going through to have a part of it, speak to their deeper self or soul. This is what we'd like to see of it. And, um, they asked, what about the meaning of the album title? And this is my favorite. He said, again, that one, that is one of the vague ideas that means something to us and not to the listener. I don't know if I can really go into it, but basically it's a very spiritual statement to us dealing with humanity's place in the cosmos and dealing directly with alchemy and psychedelics yep. and so what I thought was cool about that was that my my sort of thematic in to this album was oh this is the this is like the diary of a lovecraftian cultist like this is the <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> this is
0: sort of from the beginning to the end. Their attempts, maybe with others, to summon an elder being.
1: This is one of the things uh, that I love about this album: is that it almost defies interpretation. Uh, because yeah, right. there, are, there are other people who are convinced because they've said that it is, as you, as Dave Edmondson said in that interview, that it is a concept album, that it is designed to be listened to in one go as a piece. You know, not for individual songs to be plucked out of it and what have you. Um, and there are some people who are convinced that it's a sort of post-apocalyptic uh, concept album, that yeah. it's written from the point of view of, you know, a survivor of an apocalypse. There are other people, yeah, who think it's all about heroin. Uh, other people think it's all about, you know, psychedelia and becoming one with the cosmos. And and I love the fact that not only could it be all those things, but that the band just won't say. They will not say. In fact, they don't talk about this record much at all. They often deflect questions about this album uh, from interviewers because they really don't want to explain what it's about and I kind of love that
0: Oh I kind of love that too because I there's parts of it that to me are like sort of the the sort of uh, droning march of the the thralls of near Lathotep. you know there <laughs> are there are parts where it it feels like especially you know when we get into the individual songs that are that are sort of feeling like the stirrings of an elder being um Sort of concept to me. So that was once I could put my story on this album, that real. That's when it really sort of pivoted for me. You know. Yeah. So I, I think that's for the first thing I sort of started to think was like, okay, think of it more as a mood. Think of it more as sort of what it's kind of bringing out in you. And then once I was able to kind of put a story to that, that really closed the circle for me in terms of like being able to. Okay, now I'm in. Yeah. And we're going through and I'm sort of, you know, thinking about where this character in my head is on their, on their sort of journey as we go through this album. And so that, that is what really brought it all together. If me. you
1: watch video interviews with uh, Scott Kelly and Steve Vontill especially, they will, and there are quite a few of them, they they this is the thing, they're all happy to do interviews. They're a bunch of really kind of laid back, nice, easygoing, chatty guys. They will happily do interviews, And what they talk about is how neurosis is a catharsis, and I think that's fairly obvious, you know, just from the music alone, Um, that it is a spiritual experience for them about how they sometimes feel like they're channeling a primal force and that it's all about, you know, the sort of the inner essence of being coming out and being... Revealed to the world and all that, which is all lovely, but they will not explain lyrics, they won't go into specific details about what a song is about or what an album is about. They are confident enough to let the music stand by itself. And with music that's this uncompromising, that's extraordinary. I have enormous respect for that because, because this music is so difficult to listen to at times, it would be so easy for the band to try to reassure people by saying, oh no, it's about this. It's about that. But they're like, no, no, we're not going to say you take it as it comes. And you know, you interpret it. We know what it means to us, but you interpret what it means to you. And I love that.
0: Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that I would have enjoyed it less had they been more straight ahead with whatever story that they were trying to tell. The fact that I could put my own story to this album and get through it in the way that I wanted to interpret it is what allowed me to enjoy it. Um,
1: You mentioned the uh, production, Billy Anderson. Uh, This is the only album that he produced for them, which is kind of a shame because the sound on this, you know, the the thickness uh, of the sound is just extraordinary, especially when you consider, and we've mentioned this before with the, in relation to old albums, 1996, you know, multi-tracking, the amount of multi-tracking that they did on this album Uh, without uh, losing clarity because there are, you know, it's, yes, it's a very thick, sludgy sound, but at the same time, you can hear the bass, you can hear the guitars, you can hear the keyboards and the drums, uh, and the drumming is extraordinary. And, you know, you can hear all of it, but it's also this massive, thick, crushing sound. And that's a really difficult thing to pull off, even now, let alone in 96. But I... Given some things that the band members have said, I'm not sure whose decision it was, but I kind of got the impression that this was a really, really difficult album to record. Uh, And that's why they've never worked with him again. Either he's gone, fuck that, I'm never working with you again, or maybe they weren't happy or they fell out with him or whatever. I don't know. But uh, Scott Kelly was homeless when they recorded this album. Uh, and was struggling with addiction which is one of the reasons a lot of people think it's about heroin Uh, Steve Von Till uh, again has never gone into detail but he has said that he was going through like you know some heavy shit in his life uh, at this point as well Uh, there's one quote where it's on Wikipedia actually where he calls creating this album quote a fucking railroad through hell
0: (laughs) yeah I mean you could easily interpret the first song through silver and blood you know through the needle into the the vein sort of thing yeah absolutely 100% so yeah
1: it's but like I say again they won't they won't say definitively one way or the other. So uh, Pitchfork called this album industrial music as it might have been imagined by a pre-industrial people, which I think is a really great quote.
0: <laughs> well, and to me, just lends to the Lovecraftian, yeah, you know, yeah, feel yeah. of it. So that that that's that that all works for me, and I love that their lyrics are ambiguous enough to conjure images and feelings of you have an idea what they're going for without directly giving you any answers. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and did you, I sent you a link to maybe a couple of links, I don't remember to some live performances. Did you get a chance to watch them? I don't
0: think uh, I did. No, I'll have to watch them. After I, the show.
1: I haven't yet had chance to see them live because they frankly, they don't come to Europe. Much, uh, or rather, I should be more specific, they don't come to the UK much. Whenever they tour Europe, they do like you know a dozen dates on the continent, and then one date in England.
0: Because uh, they're from Oakland, that's right, right. Yeah,
1: the Bay Area band. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't even tour that much around the Bay Area. You know, then their I get the impression that their live shows are uh logistically difficult and expensive to put together because they have so much equipment. Um and if you watch any of those videos of them live, you can see they have their back line is just <laughs> it's kind of and they don't ridiculous. I mean they don't
0: strike me as a band that puts together a twelve song set list and goes out on the road for you know two dozen right. dates. In the span of uh, in the span of yeah. two months, like that, just
1: it's not really them, no. But right. I do, I I know people who have seen them, and I've watched. There are many, many videos of them live on YouTube, um, and by all accounts, and you can see it watching these videos. They are, you know, immense live. Uh, you can see that they have no problem whatsoever reproducing the heaviness and the, the ferocity of some of their songs on stage. Um, even the keyboard player <laughs> cracks me up. They're what must be one of the heaviest keyboard players in the business. Uh Noah Landis, you watch his head banging while he's keyboarding and his his top uh on his rack, his top keyboard is some kind it's it, it triggers his samples, and it's got these massive lever-like keys that he literally hammers with his fists <laughs> while they're playing. <laughs> it's And you think if even the keyboard player is that heavy, you know, it gives you some idea of what the rest of the the band's like. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm assuming that the set just culminates in a rip in time and space, (laughs) where whatever cosmic being that they're trying to summon. Like that, that that sort of group energy is what's needed to to rip open the fabric of reality. And so that's why they don't do a lot of shows because every time they do, it sort of shatters a little bit of our reality. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, as I say, the people I know who have seen them live have said it was one of the most amazing, loud and intense experiences they've ever had. Um, and intense is a word that as I was writing up my, you know, sort of notes on each track of the album, I noticed that I just kept writing the word intense over and over and over again because there is there's almost no better word to describe this band like there is even the moments of quiet even the the sort of you know, the nice quiet melodic bits that you get with a bit of piano or a bit of strings are still really intense because you know they're building up to something explosive
0: yes i would say building is something they're very good at yeah like the build as a concept, I think they're very good at
1: that. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. Layer.
0: There are times where I feel like they don't build to something in the way I would like to see them right. to see them do, but the build itself is really yeah, good. Yeah,
1: yeah. They layer and layer and everything, as you say. Yeah, builds yeah. a sort of uh, TV tropes calls it the Bolero effect, which is uh, yeah, oh, interesting. It's quite, a it's a quite a succinct way of putting it. Um, so. I mean, this is, let's face it, this is, we'll do the track by track, but this is a difficult album to talk about track by track because, yes, it's a concept.
0: It's not like, oh, I love the hook in this one. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's a concept album, but more than that, by its very nature, there are hardly any choruses to speak of. There's these long instrumental drone passages. Uh, You know, you might, on the one hand, there's not a lot going on that you can sort of, pick at but on the other hand there's so much going on in terms of texture that it's yes. almost impossible to talk about without just going and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens <laughs> oh man! um but that's that's why i love it so it's uh, i said 1996 um nine songs 71 minutes i mean this was mid 90s mm-hmm. was kind of the golden era of the cd wasn't it so you know 71 minutes is not an unusual album length for for the time uh, longest yep. track is twelve minutes eighteen seconds. Shortest track is five minutes eighteen seconds. Apart from the, uh, there's a couple of interludes. Um, right. But the average is yeah, like not between nine and eleven minutes. It is not uh, an album full of short, catchy songs by by any means.
0: No, no radio singles on this one.
1: Yeah, say that. But actually,
0: <laughs> really, what one, one of
1: these tracks was it was a single, and not only that. Remains like a live staple, maybe. And i their most popular or song, Locust no, no, it's Locust Star, yeah. Yeah, track okay. five Locust Star is probably their best known track. Um, because
0: oh, you know what? It's funny. Uh, I'll, I'll save my right, note for right. that track. I just looked at my note that I made on that track, and, I, and that makes perfect sense now that you yeah, say that.
1: It's uh, yeah, that was a single, it remains one of their most popular and best known songs. They all very, very often play it live. Um, and it is a great track, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, no, it's not a top 40 <laughs> radio song, but it did get a right. lot of, a lot of airplay. Um,
0: went to number 10 on the mainstream rock right. chart in, in <laughs> the Imagine US. Casey
1: Kasem int- <laughs> introducing mm-hmm. it.
0: <laughs> and here's a new cerebral nightmare from Neurosis.
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh, track one, title track Through Silver in Blood.
0: For me, I think at the end of the day, my favorite song on the album.
1: Right. Well, and it, I mean, it's kind of hard to pick a favorite track on this album. It is because it is so clearly a single work that it's so clearly of a piece.
0: Uh, as but where I think what I think about this song when I say that is to me it feels the most complete. Right. Well, of all of the songs on this album, to uh, me. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, I I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but mainly, I mean, I would probably agree that this is my favorite if i was forced to pick one i'd say oh okay well this track but that's probably because it sets up the rest of the album so well And we've talked about this before with albums you know the importance of the opening track letting you know what you're what you're going to be in for and this track does it you know in spades um
0: yeah this is the poster track that i would send someone if they said well give me an idea of like what neurosis is right I would say listen to this song.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, those big, uh, the intro drums, these like massive tribal drumming. And when they do this live, uh, Steve Von Till actually joins in and like, you know, he's drumming on a massive floor tom himself uh,
0: to I could totally lend weight that.
1: to the sound, yeah. Um, and then you've got those, the drone of, you know, the single guitar over it, and then the massive crushing riff. And it's, it's all a tonal... Uh, yeah, it really lets you know what it's in for. I mean, I it's actually kind of one of the mo- one of their more accessible tracks in some ways because
0: I don't disagree with that. You know, I feel like it, a uh, to agree with you, it is crushing. Like when it comes in, it is crushing, and this is a great example of like their build to something and a place where I feel like it completely pays right. off. Where you get the build and then you get like a mountain dropped on you. Um. <laughs> And to me, like in my, in the story in my head, like this is, this is the ritual that is being done to slowly rouse the elder being from its slumber. That's kind of what this song was sort of in my head. And it's not something that happens quickly. It's something that happens over a long period of time. And so all of that sort of made sense in my head as I was kind of thinking through the song. And that's where, um, this is that that's where i really found my way into the album was through this song and that story that i sort of uh created in my head and it starts off very like ritualistic sort of drumming and the way that it ends is sort of ritualistic chanting yep. and so that like it really just all works for me this is the, i i like the way that it's drawn out i like the pacing of it i like and yet at first listen, this was a very difficult song to get into. But after listening to the album for several times and finding my way into it, like this feels very complete, right?
1: And it it has no chorus to speak of, which is one of the reasons it's so difficult to get into. You know, again, you're like, kind of, well, where are we going with this exactly? But that's, I mean, that's the story of their music. Really, is that the journey is as important as the destination, uh, and the build up is as important as. Yes, when it breaks and everything sort of crashes in. Um, th-
0: the other thing that it made me think about too, just in terms of like visuals and mood and stuff like that, is is um, John Carpenter's *Prince of Darkness*. Oh, right. Where yeah. you know a big theme of that movie is that there is someone in the future who is trying to break through your dreams into the past to warn you about something that's coming. Um, and through most of the movie, you're just seeing fragments of these dream messages from the future. And it isn't until the end of the movie that you realize that one of the characters that you've spent most of the movie with is that person from the future who's trying to warn you about, you know, something that's sort of coming. And so that to me was an image that sort of went through my mind as I was listening to this as well, because it feels like something trying to punch through. The consciousness of something, right? Else.
1: Things emerging. And it takes a long time to yeah. do
0: exactly. It takes a long time to do that, and just that visual of Prince of Darkness, of like the hand approaching the surface of the mirror, you know, as it gets closer and closer and closer, and that connection is made. And so that that sort of elder being, you know, uh, other dimensional being of trying to to bridge the gap between our dimension and theirs was a was for me my mental theme as I went through this whole thing.
1: Th- this is as good a time as any as well to talk about jason roda's drumming because he is extraordinary um especially if <laughs> and if you haven't watched those live videos you may not realize his kit is like almost inconceivably minimal for the sound that he gets out of it he literally has a snare a single rack tom and one floor tom and a kick drum that's it Yeah, uh, you know, and then four uh, a high hat and three cymbals that's that's his entire yep. kit, and yet he and he apparently likes it that way because he says that it forces him to be more creative. But the sound he which gets out of totally,
0: it, which you can totally, yep, absolutely, And the way like even his use of the snare and how he's hitting heavier or lighter as he builds that circular yep. rhythm is really interesting. It really
1: is, yeah. He's And you watch them live and he is totally in control. He is, you know, the master yeah. of that drum kit. It's really quite extraordinary.
0: He definitely has great control over the weight of his strikes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. He also, incidentally, if, for people who also love, you know, sort of post-metal and drone and what have you, he recently became the drummer in Sleep of Dope Smoker fame. Uh, so uh, if you ever go and see Sleep Live, you will see Jason Rohder, um with another band. And he's just as good there, obviously uh the other thing that you'll uh that this song showcases that again re- recurs throughout the album is three vocalists uh as I said earlier, Scott Kelly and Steve von Till, the guitarists are both vocalists, but so is Dave Edwinson, the bassist and uh i actually I really struggle to tell Kelly and von till apart they They both have a very kind of you know, a very powerful growl. But you know, sort of, and it is—it is low pitched, but it's not quite sort of lemmy. Yeah. You know, it's kind of—it's a, a fairly standard, but very, very good up- hardcore style screaming growl. And then you get David Edwinson, who has this ridiculously deep, booming, guttural growl. Uh, and he—they don't use him much because it's a bit like he's a bit like a howitzer. You know, you. you- <laughs> You only roll him out when right. you really need him because when he does come in, you know, you'll you know basically when you hear the really, really deep growling, that's Dave. Um, and he's extraordinary. And again, you see them live with all three of them shouting across one another uh, during songs. And it's uh, the effect. The wall of sound is remarkable.
0: Yeah it's funny you mentioned about that not being able to tell those other two guys apart because it wasn't until the third song that i really was able to do that
1: right that you realized that there was actually more than one guy shouting yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) yep um all right so yeah great opener really sets up the album so track two is uh rehumanize there's no light without darkness
0: The beginning, there was only the great self reflected in the form of a person.
1: Matter and spirit. Reflecting and found nothing but itself. This is the first sort of interlude, if you like. You can't really call it a skit because it's, you know, it's not that. Um, but it's an interlude of samples and a soundscape um, it's a nice little palate cleanser in a way because it's kind of, it's still intense and weird, but it gives you a break from the guitars before the next track comes in.
0: Yeah. And it, to me, it's again, like kind of talking about the cosmic nature of man, you know, and their place in the universe and stuff like that. So it, it, it narratively it all fit yeah. for
1: me. I actually chased down, I'd never done this before, but I, I chased down a few of the quotes, most of the quotes that, um, appear in this. I don't think these are the band members. Uh, doing these voiceovers, but I also don't think they're samples either because I read a thing uh, talking to Noah Landis more recently about their use of quotations and what have you. And he said that where they normally get somebody else to record the voice because otherwise there's all manner of, you know, legal complications with samples and stuff. Whereas if they just get somebody to, an actor or whoever, or even just a friend to record it, a new it's much simpler you still have to get the rights but it's much simpler to do so um right so the first you have a quote from timothy ferris's pbs special the creation of the universe which is the uh what's it like out there and the thing about it is the machine that has created you then the quote in the beginning there was only the great self reflected in the form of a person is apparently from a hindu text the hindu upanishads i don't know if i've pronounced that correctly but i hope so um and then the final one body and mind and soul is what unifies that is from gnostic belief apparently which i didn't i've you know i know a little about gnosticism but not a huge amount so that was a surprise to me
0: it's funny you mentioned the upanishads because that's something that lynch talks about in his book that i was talking to you about before we recorded today. oh really if you if you uh, listen to david lynch's catching the big fish which is about how he comes up with ideas uh, he references the Upanishads quite a that bit. That
1: is interesting. I did not know that. Huh. Yeah, because he's into... Because he's big into transcendental right, meditation.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, which the book is not super preachy on, but he definitely talks about it in the midst of, you know, his his creativeness and stuff like that. And um, a lot of those themes are in it, like just the idea of there being this sort of well of consciousness.
1: Huh. Yeah, interesting. Um, So, yeah, so we get that soundscape, like I say, a bit creepy and weird. And then we go into track three, which is I you <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is interesting because whereas the first song on the album had this, like, tremendous and and drawn-out build, this one just punches you right yep. in the face. Straight into the riff and the lyrics, um, it feels much more initially structured and straight ahead than the first songs. And this is where I, I said, uh, my note was, growls and yells, two singers? <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. was, that was my note right here. Um, Three. <laughs> I, I, I like from a... From a musical standpoint, the higher notes that are sort of very circular in nature have kind of a maddening tinge to them, and it, it reminded me of like someone who's slowly starting to lose their mind.
1: Yeah. Oh, that, that permeates that feeling. Anyway, permeates uh, Neurosis's work. You'll get that across almost every album that they do. Yeah, I think that's a uh, a subject you know, that they have a, a great interest in. Yeah. The sort of the thin border between enlightenment and madness,
0: which again, just ties so perfectly into Lovecraft, yep. Yep. you know, in my mind, because you have like this, to me, you've got this, this person who's sort of on a quest to connect with the elder beings and they're going through these rituals and they're trying these things, but it, maybe it's not working at first, but the more that they study this forbidden knowledge, they're starting to, you know, blur the line between reality and, and sort of fiction and all that kind of stuff. And so it, it just sort of, uh, to me it all fits together really yeah. well.
1: I, I love the I'm gonna say it again, the intensity of this track. Uh uh-huh. it actually sure. the way it starts is kind of closer to their hardcore roots, isn't it? It's it's I mean it doesn't sound like their first stuff, but it's much closer to it.
0: Uh I would you can definitely see the yeah, roots there for sure. And
1: it's sure. got that weird rhythm. It is in four-four time, but it's played with a really odd emphasis on the beats. Um uh and yeah, the vocals going back and forth between I think it's Scott Kelly and Dave Edmondson doing his low growl. Um, the breakdown, the slower bit. <laughs> that's like as heavy as the first track's main riff. <laughs> it's just right. incredibly heavy. Um, even without the drums, there's even a section without the drums behind them and the guitars are still just absolutely mind blowing. Um yeah. A, a,
0: And then lyrically, you have uh, our destiny awaits survival of our wrath, which could be the whole, you know, post-apocalyptic thing. The frigid apparition waits silently transcendent.
1: What seeking light blinds the eye to providence. I mean, it's kind of like, it's so... Rife with meaning, and yet it's so vague, <laughs> maddeningly vague.
0: Right, right, yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. I, I, and but it is a really great, powerful, it's track just this. a framework
0: for you to put your story yeah, in, yeah,
1: and one of the shorter tracks on the album as well.
0: Um, yeah, a breezy five minutes and 17 <laughs> <yeah>. seconds. <laughs> I think it is the shortest, yeah, which again. Yeah. Is breezy compared to a lot yep. of the songs, but on it the album.
1: but it works. It gives it that kind of. It's it's what makes it such an intense experience. This track you need
0: yeah. that you could, you could not have every song be twelve minutes long. I mean it just well you so the, the you say that
1: they have done albums like that. Yeah, um,
0: to me it would just be too much because this I, the peaks and valleys for me are enough to sort of ground right. you. Right.
1: Well, and the peaks and valleys is I like the that's an important them. part of of their songwriting style i feel uh yeah i mean i I agree with you i think you do need the peaks and valleys i mean they do that with certain tracks right yeah
0: yeah you know you get that but but yeah overall i I like i like how they spaced it out i mean you've got 12 minutes less than two minutes a little over five minutes back to 12 minutes
1: well and that is okay so let's move on then to track four purify
0: Which to me, again, is very much the whole uh, dreamy, sort of cosmic, staticky opening that feeds from the last song. But it, it just it, it has that whole like trying to break through a consciousness sort of feeling yeah. to me. Yeah.
1: Well, and this is, yeah, it starts off quiet, clean guitar and the strings. Uh, uh-huh. You know, it is very, yeah, as you say, builds very repetitive. Uh, it's nearly three minutes before we get to the meat of. Of the song on this one, but what meat? <laughs> the
0: yeah, in very black Sabbath. The
1: main riff on this song is so heavy; it is just, and yeah, it is very, very Sabbathy. It is eight only got those bent notes, which I think maybe is where uh-huh. the Black Sabbath feeling comes in, because obviously Iomi used to do that a lot. You got those bent notes; it's really it's sort of agonizingly slow. It's almost a kind of it's almost a quintessential neurosis riff even though it doesn't even last for that long, comparatively.
0: No, and it kind of builds from anxiety into doom. Right. Like, I feel like it starts off with much more... The the acoustic notes are much more sort of anxiety-laden and then the crushing doom.
1: Yeah, and given how... I mean, this song is really aggressive and really dark musically, and yet you you read the lyrics, uh, and I say read because it's really difficult to actually understand... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh my god jeez louise <laughs> they, i mean they go from in some cases like whispering and murmuring to you know just growling to the point where their words are indecipherable to you know the layers that they have over some of these right and almost
1: all of the, vocals the distortion are of as well some well of them yeah
0: yeah yeah right yeah,
1: yeah it's uh, it's really difficult at times to understand a, a word that any of them are saying
0: no i had to go back and read as i was doing my notes i'm like let me just see what they're actually saying here but the lyrics in this
1: song like i say despite how sort of aggressive and dark the song is the lyrics are kind of transcendent they're almost sort of buddhist in the
0: purify my hells to climb the heavens sacrifice the flesh feeding solar visions
1: Yeah, in darkness, bringing light, and knowing old and knowing wise. It's you know, not a, it's not a hundred percent. I'm not saying it's a Buddhist tract or something, but there's a lot of sure. that kind of spiritual feel to the lyrics on this song. Oh, definitely. Song. Um, which again,
0: and and my favorite thing, bagpipes. Yes,
1: and then it, <laughs> you get the right. The finale is like chaos, just complete chaos. Oh, it's so and good. You,
0: this, this I love. Yeah, and then you get
1: the repeating guitar blasts. And then bagpipes?
0: <laughs> you got me. You got me. I mean, you drove a home with bagpipes, man. Like that that to me is uh ever since it's a long way to the top, if you want to rock and roll from ACDC, <laughs> like you're gonna put bagpipes in the song, you just you just sold yeah, me.
1: Just uh completely unexpected. And not, you know, it's not like they've even what's his face from Corn, who actually plays bagpipes. Like, no, it's not like one of the band members can play the bagpipes. They got a guy in to play the bagpipes. You know, again, that deliberate Song crafting, the way they, you and, know, some somebody somewhere went. I know, <laughs>
0: bagpipes. The apocalyptic <laughs> images of like the horns of heaven and hell. Like to me, that's what that whole thing. Like by the time, like the the bagpipes are the, they're the signal of the the impending doom to right. me. You know, like that's what the, that's what you're hearing is like. Once you hear that sound, it's all, yeah, all over.
1: Yeah, well, and uh, of course, the other thing about bagpipes is that they are a drone instrument. You know, like yes, like a absolutely. sitar or something, bagpipes have a drone going that you then play a melody yep. over the top. So, you know, I'm sure that's no accident. Um, so, yeah, ends with the bagpipes beautifully and then goes into track five, which is, yes, Locust Star.
0: After you mentioned that this was the radio signal, these are my notes. I had three notes on this song. Number one, much more subdued opening was my first note. Uh, Number two, feels more coherent as well, starts with an actual song structure. Uh, And then number three was, in contrast to the rest of the album, it almost feels boring. (laughs) Those are my three notes on this
1: song. Wow. See, okay, I wouldn't, obviously, I wouldn't agree uh, with your final note, but yeah, it is. Uh, like i say it's one of their best known songs it's a live staple there is uh there's a very famous video actually of them performing this at the first ozfest um and it is just it is epic i mean it is you you've got to see it to uh, the the naked aggression and rage just burning off of them on the stage while it's Ozfest. So, you know, you've got people wandering around in the background and people going off to find the beer tent and stuff. And meanwhile, these five guys on stage are just kind of like almost killing themselves. <laughs> it's
0: Right, they're just projecting like this energy. Yeah, it's Which again, I mean when I say that it compared to the rest of the album it feels almost boring, like if it was on a different album. Oh sure, yeah. I yeah. think it could be a crushing, you know, but I'm just saying compared to what they're doing on most of the other songs on this album where it's such an epically crafted sort of drawn out sort of thing. This one just almost feels formulaic. Right. In contrast Wh- to that. Which is kind
1: of yeah, yeah, kind of ironic given that
0: Which is probably by design yeah, obviously. Yeah.
1: Um uh it also has uh just a little piece of trivia. This track contains at uh I think 1 minute 17 seconds in contains what I believe is the only piece of actual genuine silence on the entire album. Because everything else it gets quiet but there's always some kind of sample or sound effect or you know bass note or something going on uh but this track actually contains about maybe half a second of actual silence before it explodes oh. into the the main verse
0: interesting
1: yeah it's uh you know just a little bit of trivia <laughs> um uh but yeah it is again it's really intense uh the chorus with the bent guitar notes and the shouting again you know kind of Not, I mean, I would disagree with you about formulaic, but it is, you know, something they've done before. It's something they do very well. Um, But then the end when suddenly the riff changes, you know, into something similar to what we've had, but clearly different. And here comes Dave roll out the big guns uh, and starts when he screams, yells, shouts, barks, whatever, roars will to power to start that last verse. Uh, and then, yeah, the other guys start shouting over the top of him as well. That is just so amazing, so heavy, so aggressive. um you, you know, you can see why this song is beloved of their fans and why it is a, a live staple because it is relatively short compared to many of their other tracks, uh and yet just hits you smack in the face. Uh, and the, then the, the way it ends as well, it ends suddenly, no fade, and talking about contrast, like no light without darkness, no noise without silence, and so when it ends, there's something about the way they end this track so abruptly that is, the silence hits you as if it was a loud noise, do you know what I mean?
0: Right, yeah. It's like a deafening right. silence.
1: Deafening silence, that's exactly the phrase, yes. Uh Uh, And then, yes, rolls into track six, Strength of Fates.
0: Which I like because you have these sort of flitting audio clips at the beginning of the song just kind of flickering across the soundscape sort of thing, which to me in sort of the internal narrative that I had created about this album is kind of like the part where this this person who's trying to make this connection to the elder beings, whatever, is kind of resigned to the fact that they haven't been able to do that, that they haven't succeeded. And so for a lot of the song, it feels like almost like their despair, they're giving up and then, you know, around, I think, seven minutes or so is just like they, just a total burst of rage and sort of flipping out sort of thing. Um, that's kind of what it was in my head. But yeah, this this song is another one that d- takes a long time to build up to flipping yeah. the switch. Well, it
1: takes seven minutes. Yeah, seven minutes, 11 is yep. when, yeah, it becomes a monster with those crazy down-tuned chords and the yep. drums crashing away. Um, and the, the, the vocals on the build-up uh, prior to that that's Scott Kelly uh doing the clean vocals he he and steve Till actually also both do solo projects uh, where they play almost almost like folky songs imagine if you took imagine if you played neurosis on a single acoustic guitar and spoke the lyrics rather than shouted them that's Uh kind of, you know, almost getting to what their solo projects are like. Um, But they also have, yeah, kind of almost folky feel to them. Um, And that's what this reminds you of. The vocals on this always make me think of Scott Kelly's solo stuff. So if you like this track, you should definitely go and look for his solo stuff. He does it under his own name. And also as um, Harvest Man is, all one word, Harvest Man is his sort of, you know, alias when he does solo stuff, some solo stuff as well. Um, And yeah, I mean, this is not my favorite track on the album, Um, just because it doesn't stand out, apart from the long extended quiet piece. There's, you know, when you get to the heavy bit, I would say there's, it's good, it's really good, but there's nothing in it that kind of, that isn't also in other songs.
0: I agree, and my my note on this was kind of like that the heavy part for me doesn't, and not that it ruins the song, but it just lists, this is an example of a song that I feel like builds to something that doesn't pay off right. Very doesn't
1: well. connect in the same way that some of the other tracks do. Uh, yeah, in
0: the way like that, that opening track does. Like when the opening track builds and you get the payoff, it's like holy crap! Yeah, here it's like the build was better than the payoff. Right,
1: right. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know whether I'd necessarily agree that it's uh, that the build's better, but the payoff doesn't quite live up to it. Certainly, um, or doesn't live up to. The payoff in other tracks for sure. Um but it leads into the second interlude on the album, which is track seven, Become the Ocean. We even ignited the first atomic bomb on the day commemorating the transfiguration of Christ, thus unconsciously signaling that we intended likewise to transform the world not only after the light but after the darkness.
0: which is the coolest part of to me is the way they distort the words become the ocean
1: yes uh <laughs> like- that is and the the quote here is from again another one that i uh tracked down is uh it, it is taken from the darkness of god theology after hiroshima by uh james garrison phd and published in Human Survival and Consciousness Evolution, edited by Stanislav Grof, which gives you some idea of the kind of things that they're they're reading. Yeah,
0: I might read that this weekend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, light (laughs) reading.
0: Yeah, I got a couple hours tomorrow. I might just breeze through that.
1: Uh, Oh, man. But yeah, I think that gives you some idea of the kind of... Level that they're on and the kind of things that they're reading while they were recording this, you know? Uh,
0: oh, for sure. I mean, clearly, lyrically, I mean, we talked about being able to sort of ascribe your own story to it, but the, the themes of nuclear apocalypse are just, this album is yeah, laden. Yeah, with absolutely.
1: Them. Or some kind of apocalypse, and, anyway, yeah.
0: And, and, yeah, and the and the idea of, you know, the, with all the references to the sun and to the purification and to all that, like, clearly, you know, nuclear explosion is a theme that is throughout the album
1: yeah well and actually the sun and fire and flames and purifying flames and things like that are kind of run throughout their entire output you know even in fact the very last on the the last album they released uh which was what two years ago or 18 months ago now is called fires within fires they are obsessed <laughs> with fire and flame and the sun and you know there's repeated references to those uh topics throughout yeah their entire career uh and yes and again here obviously so yeah just a short little interlude track again and then here we go <laughs> two tracks both of them over 10 minutes to finish us off so track yep. eight is aeon
0: I love the sort of almost like carnival-esque opening.
1: Doll's house piano is how I think of it, yeah.
0: Yep, uh, perfect, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's got that sort of creepy, you know, almost with the anxiety again. Uh, there's a great build with the bass and drums. It gets super weird uh, at at like around three minutes, slows back down around five minutes. I, this is a, another song where I feel like the build and the layering and the scaffolding all works super 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 well unfortunately i also feel like this song doesn't build to the thing the payoff is not worthy of the build the build is what sells this song for me
1: oh okay okay now i I know I, I do disagree on this one i i mean yeah i love the creepy piano opening i love how it becomes this kind of lovely it, it starts off as a creepy piano and then it gets picked up by the strings. and actually becomes this almost yep. like beautiful sort of morbid waltz. I agree. Really, really nice. Um, the the vocals are this is a, this is an eleven minute track, and the vocals are done by like four minutes in. <laughs> it's, you know, right? Um, uh, and yeah, and it sort of drops out and builds up again. So we get two builds up, build ups, uh, builds up, build ups in this track almost. But I, in con- by contrast, I love. The, when the second part builds up and you get the, the chaos again with the howling guitars and this big riff uh-huh. and the keyboards and it becomes this huge marching dirge and every line ends on a suspended note. So it has this amazing tension to it. rotors going like crazy on the drums. It reminds me actually of there is a My Dying Bride track called A Doomed Lover on the album songs of darkness words of light which ends with a three-minute dirge that gives me the same kind of feeling as this track it's just it's yeah like a sort of ritualistic headbanging just makes you want to you know break things uh and i get the same thing from this track i absolutely love that dirge if anything i think it's my only complaint is that the dirge is too short. I actually wish <laughs> that it went off, that it went on for longer. Instead, it sort of dies out and becomes this like, echoing drum chamber and then we get the strings and piano come back in. And I actually wish that it went on longer before it faded out or maybe didn't fade out because that's one of my favorite parts of the track. So yeah, I I, I really think the, the payoff is worth it.
0: My favorite lyric of this song, our universe will breed. Yes. <laughs> that to me is just like from again, fitting <laughs> yeah. my Lovecraftian sort of theme that I put it, just like that whole concept. That is
1: cool. yeah, yeah. Our universe will breed. Holy shit. I mean, that's
0: because some of the epic That's a parts story of in and of, and of itself, music, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like it's that whole like shifting of reality and you know, just the whole um epic cosmic scale of some of the stuff that I think they're invoking images of is really very yeah, cool
1: yeah it is i mean you know we keep saying i keep saying anyway epic but that really is a, a, a suitable oh, I, would, adjective I mean there's definitely band, yeah.
0: aspects of their stuff that is epic in in both mood and atmosphere and the, the sort of imagery right for sure. the evoked
1: concepts that you get from it yeah yep.
0: yeah totally um
1: and uh, continuing with that with the final track track nine enclosure in flame
0: I feel like is a great bookend to this album like i one of the notes that i sort of made to myself after listening through it several times was like i almost feel like the first song and the last song could be their own ep right and be complete I- it would be a 23 minute <laughs> you <Yeah>. know ep <laughs> of these two songs that are sort of two halves of the same coin so i i feel like from a placement standpoint this is the, a great song to end on. This feels like it completes the circle of what was started with the first song.
1: That's really interesting. I'm I'm really glad to hear you say that because I, was, I really thought that you wouldn't like this as a closing track because we have talked before about how, you know, almost in many cases, the ideal closing track is one that kind of makes you want to loop around and go back to the beginning again. Totally. And yeah. I feel that this doesn't do it. This is more like closing a book you know
0: uh that is a great point but i also feel like traditional structure does not apply to this <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? like to me like yeah like when i'm listening to a judas priest album when i'm listening to a mötley crue album i want the last song to make me want to put the whole thing through again this is an album that you don't listen to twice in a row i don't i wouldn't listen to twice in a row like i th- this is a book that you read and you put it down and you think about it and then maybe you come back and you read it again and you think about it and you get something different from it. But this is not candy. This is not popcorn. This is not, um, nacho chips. Like you're not just going (laughs) to continue to binge on this stuff. Like you, you experience this as a whole and you step away from it and you think about it and then maybe you come back to experience it again. But yeah, so I don't, feel like the job of the end track of this album is to make me go right to the beginning again. I feel like the job of this track is supposed to be to complete the circle and close the book and give me something to then go away and contemplate. And in that vein, I feel like this song does that 100% perfectly because I feel, first of all, that musically, it, a lot of it is a nod to the first song. There yep. are elements of this song that I feel like are direct nods to the first song. Um, but what I love about it is that it has almost like a 70s horror film soundtrack vibe to it. Um, there's despair. There's madness. There is, to me, the concept of the elder being finally awakening at last, like success of this this journey that this character has taken through this album of you know, failing to make this connection. To me, I feel like the connection is made in this song. Um, You also get at like seven minutes, this Black Sabbath-y sort of feel to it, but it has this effect of something finally breaking through into our world. Um, And the lyrics totally fit that. I mean, I will open a door and bleed in your dreams. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, yeah, yeah. dude. Like, that's just like that's freaking perfect. This is like, so, so this is like cemented for me. Like, yeah, this is a horror story soundtrack for me. Um, and it is, it is a Lovecraftian movie that this is scoring.
1: Well, I, I agree 100% that, yeah, that's, as you say, this is something to be listened to. And then you stop, it ends and you think Yeah, makes you think. And all of that, all of the uh-huh. albums are like that. And that's one of the reasons that I love them. Um, the lyrics, uh, I, have never been able to figure out or get a definitive answer i'm not convinced that he is actually singing the lyrics that are in the lyric booklet
0: oh my god thank you for saying that because there i think this was the song <laughs> yeah, this is this it's so funny yeah. you say that because there was a song and i think it was this one where i was like that doesn't sound like that. Yeah. What he, that's what he's saying, and I looked, and different sites have the same layer, So clearly, they took them from the lyric yeah,
1: book. Yeah, no, these are the, the right. I know the sort of. I know the site you're thinking of, and yes, they all the sites have copied them from the lyric booklet. The ones that are published on places like Dart Lyrics, that's what's in the
0: lyric booklet. And isn't that interesting that they would do that?
1: But it does not sound like he is actually saying those words. I mean, if he is, then it is some weird fucked up shit cadence that he is using but it does not sound but what like an
0: it. interesting thing to do yeah. to your listener oh, yeah. <laughs> isn't it you know where where basically it adds a layer of sort of surreality to it of like this is not what you're saying but this is what I'm telling you I'm right. saying it like that that is very very and, cool and and by clearly, the way you won't be like, able it's not to something they talk about you won't about. be able
1: to actually decipher what I am saying
0: <laughs> right so i could put anything here and and then that leads to the mystery of what am i actually yep. saying and is the thing that i'm saying something that maybe is not meant for you to know or that kind of stuff so all, all of that i think just lends right back into the narrative that i created for myself around this for sure it
1: really does and i mean this whole song is is pain really it's uh, oh, which, which is why i think it it works so well as a closer but doesn't, yeah, as you said, doesn't make you want to loop back around to the beginning. It's it's kind of the least song-like track on the album, which is saying something <laughs> for this album.
0: And so you know how, like, uh, is it Dark Side of the Moon that's supposed to sync up to The Wizard oh, yeah, of Oz? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. So I want someone to sync this up to John Carpenter's Prince right, of Darkness. Right, right. Beca- and at what point do you start the music? Yeah. And then that becomes the soundtrack for Prince of Darkness, because that that is what kept running through my head.
1: Yeah, and, well, and it would because it just, it leaves you in anguish, uh, in sort of in agony. It is, the whole track is just kind of, it's so discordant and so, there's so much pain in here. Uh, and it is cathartic as a result, but yeah, it is also closer and you you it ends and you're like i'm not sure i want to go through that again you <laughs> know
0: well because to me it's like for for you know uh, how i'm envisioning it is that like the 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 summoner gets what they're at what they ask for which is to make this connection and when they make the connection be- beware that's... what
1: you ask for yeah. yeah
0: exactly you have now opened the door you have now uh found the forbidden knowledge you have now connected with this thing and it is not it's and don't you thing. wish that you hadn't <laughs> like, after all? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you wish that you never looked at that? Yeah. Don't you wish that you never sought the forbidden knowledge for sure? Yeah. Absolutely. So,
1: uh, yeah. And that's, that is the end of the album. Uh, like I say, this is, you know, it is one of my favorite albums. Uh, it is neurosis classic album. You know, it is the neurosis album that everybody always refers to as the, the breakthrough and the beginnings of post metal. It is not, as I say, I know it is not the easiest album to listen to. I know some of our listeners, had real trouble getting into this album uh and that's you know that's totally understandable and perfectly fine you know you're either into it or you're not um but i appreciate everybody at least giving it a try
0: oh yeah kudos to anyone who stuck with it enough to find their way into the album and i would love to hear in the comments of like what how people did that for yeah. themselves like what was your in to this album if you if you found it tough to get into at first like what clicked for you what was your in did you ascribe a story to it was it a particular element of the atmosphere that it created like what was it that ended up being your foothold into this album because that's always fascinating because it's different for people like for me it was oh i need to have i can now tell myself a story through this album and find like a through line i'm in and so i'm interested to hear what other people yeah well
1: and kind like I said, do. for me, when I first got into them about ten years ago, it was figuring out that they are not background music. Uh, that this is not because I listen to, as I mentioned before, I listen to a lot of ambient music, especially when I'm working. Um because the whole point of ambient music, as Brian Eno famously said, is that it is as easy to ignore as it is to listen to. Um sure. and but that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> With Neurosis, you're, you're yeah, not going you to get that out of it. Yeah, you cannot ignore this. Yeah, you can't put this on in the background and expect to get, uh, you know, something out of it. I mean, I I can put a lot of post-metal on while I'm working now, but tellingly, generally not Neurosis. Like, I will put bands like Amon Ra and UFO Mammoth and uh, Mammoth Weed Wizard Bastard and, you know, even some of the newer bands like that and Casual Nun and I'll put those on in the background and I can listen to them you know as background music when i'm working but i can't really do it with neurosis there is something about their music and the way they structure and write songs and the way they perform songs that just demands attention uh you know and that's how you are gonna enjoy this music for me anyway
0: yeah it was a very nice departure for me and super glad that i Stuck with it and glad that we had a chance to sort of process through it. And it's, you know, for me, it's the equivalent of I like to read a lot of genre stuff, but every once in a while, I like to take a deeper dive. And so this was that for me.
1: Right. It's the Borges novel that you read once every three years. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: And, and in, in that way, it was. A, it ended up being a joy to explore. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm really glad that you that you could find your way into it. That's that's awesome. Um, all right. So. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. This is the last regular episode of this volume of Thrash It Out. So uh, we we will do a bonus episode uh, at some point in the near future. Um, but as with all of our bonus episodes, we are not going to tell you what we're doing. But we are pretty we've we know what we're going to do, and we're pretty sure you'll like it. Uh, and then once we've done that, we'll take a, a short break, and we will come back with. Uh, good Lord, it will be volume four.
0: It'll be Volume 4, and like you did with Volume 3.
1: Are you going to have a theme?
0: I have a theme. I have a theme. Volume
1: four, fantastic, excellent. I can't wait to hear what that is. Uh, I probably will not. I'll tell you now. Having done a theme for this one, (laughs) I think uh,
0: I. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because it can be handcuffing in some ways, for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I am not going to have a theme for. uh, So you fly
0: free for the next volume, and I will carry a theme. Yeah, and you can be the
1: one in handcuffs.
0: (laughs) Yep, absolutely.
1: (laughs) All right. So again, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, Let's go through the standard reminders. If you enjoy the show, please spread the word. Rate us on iTunes. uh, or apple podcasts or whatever and the google play store as well uh and you of course if you want to you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thrash it out if you want to get in touch go to thrash it out com for links to email and twitter join the facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out and we will uh be back in your ears shortly hopefully with a bonus episode um so enjoy and keep thrashing
0: take care